when we're done here. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. We're talking about the supremacy of Christ. We finished our series on First and Second Kings and started Hebrews 1 last week, and we'll look at some of the same verses and more today. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's ask for God's help again. Let's pray. Lord, we do that which is familiar to us, but that sometimes brings the temptation to not treat it with the reverence and the holiness that it deserves. So, Lord, we pray that we, Lord, as a church, as a pastor, as a congregation alike, might be mindful of what a holy exercise this is. To sit under the scriptures and to listen to that which the Holy Spirit has inspired in the word. May it be rightly divided and rightly applied. May, Lord, we all together be quick to hear. We know, Lord, that in former days, you rendered the people's ears and the eyes dull through the word. And so we pray that we would not become dull. And we pray that the Spirit would indeed help us to delight in what is read and preached. And may we feed upon him, Jesus, who is the Word. And for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read together Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he made, excuse me, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Amen. Well, we are talking uh, this week again about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian... One of the things I want you to hear is that what we teach and preach at this church, uh, I hope, is not ourselves, we're not commending ourselves per se, but we're commending to you a Savior, Jesus Christ. We're commending to you God who came in the flesh as a 
king, but as a king who is willing to set aside his prerogatives as king and to suffer and to die ultimately on a cross so that we who are sinners could be brought back into a reconciled relationship with God. Because sin, which affects the entire human race, has separated us by nature from God himself. So this morning, we are considering again how great is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is important. Even in Jesus' day, just as in our own, people had different opinions about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Some people think Jesus is a great teacher. Now, we would say, yes, Jesus is a great teacher. But when they say, well, I think he's a great teacher, they mean he's merely a great teacher. That's all he was. Or he was a great philosopher up there with Plato and Aristotle and, and Buddha and others. But Jesus did not come even chiefly just to be a philosopher, though certainly Jesus gives us wisdom. He is wisdom uh, itself. Jesus came into the world to be a Savior. And in order to be a Savior, he had to be God. Because our condition as man is lost. We, because of our sin, are dead and As we are dead spiritually, you say, how am I dead? Well, we're dead to the things of God by nature. We may have glimpses of God in general revelation. God does speak to us, but we spiritually don't have the eyes to see, the ears to hear. Salvation can't be found by man. Salvation can't be found in politics by men. It can't be found in economics. It can't be found in education Now, government is good and is a gift from God. Education is a gift from God. Um, Economics is a a wonderful science to study. But it's not our salvation. Our salvation has to be found in God himself, in Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews wants you to see the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now, for most of us, we ethnically are not Jews, are we? This was a letter written to Jews, chiefly. That was the original audience. But it doesn't, in some sense, really matter because the temptation for those who are Jews is temptation for us who are Gentiles, and that is to walk away from the supremacy of Jesus, to walk away for something else. Now, maybe for the Jews, it was to go back to reliance upon their works in the law. But it's not that different for us. The temptation may be for us to go back to our own works or to go back to the world. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to convince and and persuade those who uh, have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ or they may be living among Christians, maybe having not made that profession of faith, to persevere and believe in the supremacy of of the Savior. I want you to have a very large view of Jesus Christ. I want you to have the view of Jesus Christ that the Bible has of Jesus Christ. I want you to have a view of Jesus Christ as someone far superior to a philosopher, 
or a teacher, or a good, mere good man. Christ is these things, but he's far more. That's the point of this letter. Jesus wants you to see that Jesus, Jesus, the author of Hebrews wants you to see that Jesus is beyond comparison. He is without peer. He is matchless in every way. Now, last week, we started off by seeing that Christ is superior in his revelation of God to us. Notice verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Remember that the author of Hebrews begins by showing us that if you want the best view of God, you look to Jesus Christ. You consider Jesus Christ because when you see Christ by faith, you see God. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know what God's like? Do you, know, do you want to know what God would say? Do you want to know how God might respond to a particular situation? Do you want to know what God might think? In, in particular circumstances. Well, you can look at Jesus Christ and get all of that and more. God used to speak to his people, who were the Jews, who were the nation of Israel, through visions, dreams, prophets, uh, often cryptic and mysterious. The Bible tells us that the prophets used to write of things that they didn't fully understand themselves. You know how I like to give you that illustration that Dr. Sinclair Ferguson gives, that Mr. Isaiah comes home from work one day. He's been at the temple. He's been preaching and writing. And Mrs. Isaiah says, what, what did you say today? And he says, well, I, I don't know fully what I said. I don't know fully what the significance of what I said was. I, all I know is that there's a man coming. He's going to suffer for us. And we're going to be healed by his wounds and his stripes. They longed to know more. Isaiah wanted to know more. Jeremiah wanted to know more. Daniel wanted to know more. Daniel has these incredible dreams and visions and is exhausted by them. And yet he too doesn't fully understand. Jesus tells us Abraham long ago longed to know more. God tells him to take his son and go to Mount Moriah. Carry some wood, bring the fire, and sacrifice your son, and then tells him to stop. That's kind of weird. <laughs> That'll leave you scarred <laughs> if you're Isaac, right? That'll make you wonder, what, why did God do this? They wanted to know more. And Jesus says what? Abraham somehow, by the grace of God, through it all though, could see a faintness of Christ in it all. And what little he did see, he rejoiced in. And think even going further back to Adam and Eve, now wounded in their conscience, having violated God's commandments, standing ashamed in the presence of God, and God graciously saying to them, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. You, you, surely they wanted to know more. Uh, in fact, they thought at one time that Seth would be the answer to that. 
that prophecy. But it wasn't Seth, was it? It was going to be much, much later than Seth. It would be a descendant of Seth. It was going to be someone else. They longed to know these things. Well, so the author of Hebrews is telling us that after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, what? In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And we talked about that phrase in these last days. That is, not only is there a superior revelation, but there's a superior age, a superior epoch in which we are now living. We are living in the age of the gospel. We are living in the light of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. They used to live kind of like twilight. Did you know there are a lot of different twilights? I didn't know this until I started uh, wanting to know when does the sun rise and set. And I went to this website, and there's such a thing as twilight, but there's such a thing as nautical twilight. Uh, there's, there, there's such a thing... Uh, you know, there's different types of twilight. I mean, uh, you can understand if you're out on the ocean, you're going to see the light a little bit sooner as the sun comes up. You're gonna, it's going to last a little longer. Well, they were living in the twilight in the Old Testament. But now the, the sun has risen in Christ. And, and we live in the day fully uh, in the light of, of Jesus Christ. We are in a superior period of time. But you know what that means also? You're under a greater accountability to God. Remember how Jesus put it to the people in his own day? He said, you know, the people in Solomon's day, like the Queen of Sheba, she would travel a a dangerous journey through Arabia with her retinue of camels and spices and gold that she was planning to give the king. And she just wanted to hear some of his wisdom. She wasn't intending to live in Jerusalem, but she was willing to just go and risk her her life and her wealth uh, to to sit at the feet of Solomon. And yet the people in Jesus' day wouldn't even listen. They tried to drive him off a cliff. Uh, They tried to um, run him out of town. The people who saw Christ up close and personal, they had a greater accountability. And that's why Jesus said the Queen of Sheba was going to rise up one day and she was going to condemn those who had the privilege of seeing Jesus but wouldn't listen to him. So also, with foreigners, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, of all people, were going to judge the people of Bethsaida and Chorazin, because the people of Bethsaida and Chorazin saw Christ up close and yet rejected him. If they had seen, they would have repented. The men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. The little light that Jonah had, the little revelation that Jonah had, it was sufficient to bring them to repentance and faith. And yet Jesus Christ is in the midst of his people and they have someone far greater than Jonah, and what? They are rejecting him. Do you see the point? You and I have a far, far greater accountability to God. We have been given much more. You know, you've been given much more than even the people in Jesus' day have. You say, no, no way, pastor. I would love to have seen Jesus. I would have loved to have heard his voice. Nope. You are sitting in a position of superiority in terms of revelation. Why? 
because the Spirit of God has been given. The Spirit has been given at Pentecost, and therefore, it is actually better, Jesus said, that I go away and that I send the Holy Spirit. So we are even in a position superior to those that Jesus condemned, who saw him and heard his voice. So you and I need to get a fresh grasp of Jesus in his greatness, in his beauty, in his loveliness, in his magnificence. Jesus Christ is far greater than we appreciate him. We do not appreciate Jesus enough. We do not see him as lovely enough. You know who tends to see Jesus in his loveliness the most? is people who have really lived a sinful life. It's people who often have, they, they know how bad and how wickedly they've lived and they've come to Christ. And those whom are forgiven much, love much. And they see how lovely Jesus really is. They're like the woman caught in adultery and about to be stoned, and Jesus pardons and says, where are your accusers? They are not here, Lord. They have gone. Where are the two witnesses that are needed by the law of Moses to stone this woman? They're gone. Only Jesus is the only witness left, and he decides to pardon. And he pardons. And that's why a woman like that will weep on his feet and wipe those feet with her hair. That's why a woman like that will pour oil on his head and the disciples become indignant. Friends, I'm not saying go out and live some wild and crazy life so that you can get all debauched and then see the loveliness of Jesus. But I am saying, though, you can look at the law of God with all the plainness and all the filthiness of the sin of the greatest sinner is still right here. I can just look at myself in honesty and begin to see the loveliness of Jesus. Jesus is superior in his revelation. We live in a superior age, a superior epoch. The last days does not mean the final 365 days before eternity begins, it means that last period of time between the two advents of Jesus, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. That's a superior age that we're living in. This is good news, and I freely offer it to you. You can have Jesus Christ today. You're living in a superior age. Take advantage of it. Jesus is saying, come unto me, and I'll give you rest right now. Here in LaGrange, Georgia, here in Troop County, I'll give you rest for your soul if you'll believe on me. This is a superior time. This is, a, this is what, you know, in sales, they call this a great, a great sale. This is where you can buy without cost. This is, this is where you can come and own Christ for yourself. And so I'm, my job as a minister especially for those maybe visiting or maybe some young children who have made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You can make that public faith and commitment to Christ today. You can do it. You can do it soon, now. And now is an opportune time to know Jesus Christ as your 
as your Lord and Savior. I want you to see that this is, this is the moment, this is the time to do it. You know, there, there's coming a time and the doors are going to be shut. The doors are open. Jesus says, come. But Jesus also tells us that the doors, one day they're going to be shut and they're going to be bolted and locked. And, and you can knock all you want, but there's, there's going to be no getting in. Lord, Lord, did we not follow you and hear you when you were in our streets? And Lord say, I didn't know you. You foolish virgin. Why didn't you get oil? When it was opportune time to get oil for your soul. Why didn't you go to the, the marketplace and buy Christ without money, without cost. When you had the opportunity, when it was available, when he was free, when he was saying, come unto me. Why don't you do it now? Why put it off? There's not a better epic coming where this offer will still be good. In these last days, he has spoken to us in the, in the sun. He has spoken to us. He has given us the fullness of himself in the sun. The fullness of his revelation is in Christ. Christ is found in the, in the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, I've given my spirit to illuminate the scriptures to your mind, to soften your heart, to make your will pliable. Now's the time to come to Jesus Christ. Now's the time to grab Jesus by faith. Now's the time in this age, in these last days, now's the time to say to yourself, you know, I need to go up, even if I go up secretly, even if I go up quietly, even if I go up kind of behind his back, if I could just touch the edge of his garment. If I can but just lay hold of a little bit of Jesus. Lord, all I want is, a, is to lay hold a little bit of you. I don't have to have a full embrace. I don't have to lay my head on your bosom like John Lord, just give me, just give me the edge of your garment. Just let me touch and feel your power. Let me just touch and know that I'm healed. Let me just touch you and know that I'm forgiven. Do you know you're forgiven? Does your, does your soul tell you you're forgiven? Does your soul, is it at peace? Does your, does your inner man say, Abba, Father? Or do you just know God as God? Is that as far as you can get? Elohim, the most basic name for God. That's all I know. I call him God because he's distant to me. He's remote. He's far away. I, I know him in an intellectual way, but I, don't, I haven't come to know him. and I'm not sure he knows me. Well, the author of Hebrews is saying what to us here? He has spoken to us in the Son. How do I know the Father? It's through the Son. Philip, how long have you been with me? Just show us the Father, Philip says. Philip, ah, how distressing that must have been to Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. And Philip says, oh, just show us the Father. Come on, Philip. Have you not read? In these last days, he has spoken to us in the Son. 
If you have beheld the Son, you have beheld the Father. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. We have a superior revelation. We are living in a superior time, a superior age, these last days. We have a superior inheritance. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things through whom he also made the world. He is the heir of all things. Jesus has been given everything. The Father has committed everything into the hands of his Son because his Son has been faithful, his Son has been obedient. Jesus has done everything that the Father wanted him to do. Think about that for a second. He has done everything that the Father wanted him to do. Everything which was intended by the incarnation, the Son of God becoming a man, everything that was intended to be accomplished in that incarnation has been completed to the absolute satisfaction of God the Father. And the Father, therefore, says to the Son... Son, well done. I will give you many nations. I will give you the nations as your inheritance. I will give you the world. I will give you the universe. You ever read Romans 8? And the Apostle Paul says that the creation is groaning. Why? Why is the universe groaning? What is the burden that the universe carries? Why does the sun and the stars, the moon, the mountains, the animal life all groan? Groans because it's under it's laboring under our sin. Cosmic treason has been committed in the garden. And the whole world, the whole universe has been ruined. It's been cursed by God. You shall till the ground by the sweat of your brow. You will bring forth children in pain. And God could have gone on and on and on. You birds are going to get shot by 12-year-old boys with BB guns. You animals are going to suffer under the tyranny of cruel men who treat you cruelly for their own wicked and perverse pleasure. You, the creation, and I'm not an environmentalist, but you, the environment, you, the creation, are going to suffer. Tornadoes, anyone? Where'd that come from? The creation is groaning. And it longs to what? Be delivered from its suffering. Day after day after day after day, the world which is getting weary, the world which is getting tired, the world which is wearing out like a garment is saying, how long, O Lord, how long? When will you make us new again? Well, 
When will you purge us with the fire and bring forth our glory as it was meant to be in the beginning? And the Father says to the creation, at the day of the revealing of the sons of God, I will do it. And it's going to be done. Why? Because it's already begun. I have raised my son, Jesus Christ, from death. What is the greatest enemy? What is the greatest groaning in human experience? It is death. And it is the vanity that comes to our everyday life because we are all on death row. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless when you're on death row. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. All your work, all your care, all your labor, all your sweat. All your tears. Without God and without Christ, it means absolutely, in the end, nothing. Oh, but I'm living for history. I'm living to leave a legacy. Ah, Your great-grandchildren won't even know your first name. I'm living to make the world a better place. And yet, the more we seek to make it a better place the more inventive we become in our wickedness to use those good things for evil. No, the only way any of this gets redeemed is through Jesus. Jesus brings a superior inheritance. He is the one that makes life worth living. He is the one that gives meaning. He is the one that alone gives purpose to our existence. Without Jesus Christ, our existence is full of sin and misery, and our lives are but short. Even Jacob said that to Pharaoh. How long have you lived? hundred and some years. Days full of suffering and sorrow and short. Shorter than even that of my father's. But what does the author of Hebrews say? In these last days he has spoken to us in his son whom he has appointed the heir of all things. What what is Christ the heir of? He is the heir of the world that is to come. He is the heir of the new heavens and the new earth. All things have been committed to Christ and he owns all things. He has been the faithful son and the good news is when you believe in Christ, you are united to Jesus, you are united to the heir. That's good news. (laughs) If you are united to the heir, if you are married to an heir of a future billion dollars, guess what? Good news for you, right? Well, who is your husband? It's Jesus. Jesus Christ is our husband, and he has been made heir of all things. And that means you, dear woman, also are heir of all things. All things belong to you. Present and things to come, Paul says. All things are ours in Christ Jesus. Even the new heavens and even 
the new earth. It's a superior revelation. We live in a superior age, and we have a superior inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a superior creation in Jesus Christ. Have you made that commitment to Jesus Christ this morning? Are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? Does He know you? Do you long for Him? I want to invite you, if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, that you would do so, that you would seek Him, that you would seek to find Him. Where, do I, where am I going to find Christ? You're going to find Him here in the Scriptures. This is the superior revelation that's been given to you. Read your New Testament. Ask God to give you the Holy Spirit to understand the things that are written. Seek Him and ye will find. Knock and it will be opened. Go to Him. He will not cast you out. If Zacchaeus would climb a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus said, I want to come to your house for dinner, how much more you who will climb to see Christ in the Scriptures, will He not come into your home as well? How much more will He not come and sup with you? God offers us eternal life. Christ is life itself. I urge you to take Christ, to believe on Christ, to own Christ. Make Him your Lord. Make Him your Savior. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I deserve judgment. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve eternal punishment. I know, God, I've broken every commandment of yours. I know that I'm poor and naked. I'm a wretch. I'm miserable. I know people think I'm okay. I know my neighbors think I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. But Lord, I know from what your word says that I'm a sinner. I know, oh God, there's no hope for me in myself. I know there's no salvation in how much education I get. I know there's no hope for me in how much money I make. I know there's no hope for me in who we elect into the office of the presidency or in Congress. Lord, you're my hope. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. I need you, O God. Come into my life. Help me, Lord, by your Spirit. Own me as your own. Help me to hear your voice. You are the shepherd, Lord. Make me one of your lambs. Make me hear your voice and follow after you. And the Lord will do that. The Lord is gracious and kind. He is willing to save to the utmost. He, he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He desires that all men should repent and believe on him. He's earnest in that. It's not an insincere offer from him. He sincerely wants you to believe and to turn. You know, what, what is it that we read often this time of year is Matthew chapter 21 when, when Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to gather you. Don't, don't be like the people in Jesus' day that were unwilling. They saw his glory. They saw his miracles. They heard his wisdom. They even wondered, where did he get this wisdom as an uneducated man? And 
yet they couldn't see him for who he was. Oh, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be stubborn. Don't be stupid. Don't be rebellious. Don't be ugly. Don't be evil. Turn away from all of that and come to Jesus Christ. He's lowly. He's meek. He's humble of heart. He can save to the utmost. He can save the worst people. He can save you. Don't put him off. What is there left in this world that you want that would keep you from Jesus Christ? What, what, are, you, what are you wanting out of this world that you think is going to be more satisfying to your soul than the person of Jesus Christ? Why don't you go to Jesus? Why delay? Why put it off? Why don't you come now? You don't know what a day may bring. Why don't you you make this the first business of your life and say, I'm going to get right with God. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you've backslidden. You know, maybe you are not walking with the sense of the nearness of God, the joy of the Lord that you once knew. You've allowed, for whatever reason, things to creep into your life that has created an alienation between you and God, a distance. There there is um, a cooling in your affections. The Apostle Paul says, open your mouth wide. Open your mouth wide. Don't be like the toddler sitting in the high chair who says, "Mm mm-mm, not doing mashed peas. And mom is sitting there with the spoon. Come on. Come on. Listen, Jesus is not mashed peas and carrots. Grow up. Grow up. Open your mouth and feed on Christ. Put away the bitterness. Put away the alienation from Christ and come unto him. Say, Lord, forgive me. I've been a jerk. I've been a fool. I've been a backslider. I've been getting into things that I shouldn't be getting into. I'm letting things of the world become too much in my life, too much on my mind, too much on my heart. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Clean the slate, Lord. I'm yours again. Give me the vitality I need, the strength I need, the love I need, the grace I need, the power I need. Help me, O God, to take that cross back up. Don't let me look back, Lord. Set my eyes on the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Zion, and Lord, put, a, put, a, put some zip into my step for Christ's sake. God, help me. Refresh me. Help me to pray again. Lord, I got away from your word. I got away from Bible reading. I got away from the prayer meeting. I got away from listening to scripture, listening to the preaching of the word. I was going through the motions, Lord. I was just trying to pacify my conscience a little bit so it would quit accusing me. And so I would pray a little bit, but it was it was praying, non-praying, 
God, help me. Help me to pray now, Lord. Help me to to rededicate my life to you, to recommit myself to you right now. Help me, O God. Strengthen my love, my faith right now. Lord, there's nothing that compares to you, Psalm Psalm 27. Lord, there's nothing that compares to you. All that I could desire, Lord, cannot compare to you. Lord, you are the precious treasure that I should be willing to sell everything I have in order to own you. God, give me grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for today's scripture lesson. We pray the Holy Spirit would continue to apply it to the lives of the preacher and congregation alike. Pray, Lord, that we might love you earnestly and believe on your Son. He is supreme. We love him, O God. We thank you for him. Thank you that he is the Son of God. Thank you that he became a man. Thank you he died. Thank you he's raised from the dead. Thank you he sits in glory with power at your right hand. Thank you he's coming again. Thank you, Lord, for sending the Spirit.